You know what that sound means. Welcome to the most interesting part of your day. An exciting episode of the Metaphysical Mysteries with your intrepid hosts, Dr. Terry Trubla and Tom Greenhall. Always finding the seekers in this world and reporting it directly to you, the free and the brave. We encourage all of our fans to check out our website at www.themetaphysicalmysteries.com where we have more content and reference items, links to many of our amazing and cutting-edge guests. We are excited to have you with us again. And as you know, this is the must-do podcast for anybody who is anybody in the metaphysical field. We cover everything from ghosts, UFOs, Bigfoot, amazing healing sciences, and leading technologies that are simply the coolest. We'll bring in researchers, doctors, and authors, and give you content that you cannot get anywhere else. Check out our latest merchandise and proudly wear and use the Metaphysical Mysteries clothing and accessories. Now, on with our next episode. Good afternoon, folks. Uh, this is Terry and Tom, and we're here again with the Metaphysical Mysteries. Today, we have two guests, which is unusual for us. And we're going to be talking about what I would consider to be a modern day witch burning. Uh, in other words, what happens to people who are having mystical experiences and other psychic phenomenon, I guess I would say, and they end up in a situation that all of us would dread. And so I have with us uh, Dr. Kathleen Talent. She has been with us before. You can see her on the podcast. And uh, she's going to be chiming in from the uh, psychologist point of view and life coaching point of view. Uh, and Ed, uh, we've got you here as uh, the person who found himself in a dire situation, I would call it. And uh, so um, maybe and keeping in mind that Ed is a uh, retired law enforcement and uh, has you know, 30 plus years experience in that field. I've known him myself for decades. And when I found out that this happened, I said, boy, this is something we need to share with the public. So because people are constantly asking, when do I say something? When do I come out of the closet if I'm having these experiences? So, um, Ed, I'm going to let you kind of start and any background you want to give and uh, kind of go from there. Okay. Thank you, Terry, uh, very much. I appreciate you having me on uh, your show today. No, no so I'll just, uh, I'll tell the story in very short form. Um, March of 2020, uh, after a few years of having quite a few experiences myself, uh, mystical experiences, and uh, really opening up and awakening, uh, I was keeping a journal. And that journal was from the standpoint of an observer uh, from a neutral standpoint, I would write down everything that uh, I experienced or that someone told me, maybe an intuitive or a shaman. Uh, and I, I had that journal in my office in my home and my wife and I at that time, my ex-wife now, um, again, this was March of 2020. I had that journal in my home, in my office. It, it was mine. It was my private property. Without my knowledge, she broke into it and uh, was disturbed by what she read, although she never said a word to me about it. From that point, she went behind my back. Uh, again, we were living in the house together, but we were you know, in the process of getting a divorce. And she went to the county first uh, with an affidavit for an order of protection. Um, and then in, in short, had uh, deputies come to my house, serve me with that. And I was taken uh, to uh, a local uh, psychiatric hospital um, with something that she had told them. Um, and there were, there were at least eight just absolute lies inside of this document uh, that just were not true or things she had taken out of my journal and misrepresented them. Uh, so the court system, unfortunately, in this situation, and I understand why, favors the wife the female in, 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 in the, the relationship. Although I have never, in 36 years of marriage, I have never touched her. Uh, I've never abused her, ever. And so anyway, she, uh, she took this there. The law enforcement showed up at my house one night. Um, she hadn't been there. Again, I knew nothing of this. Took me by surprise. I even knew one of the officers who was there. 
uh, because I train law enforcement still. Um, had I just had her in a class the week before. And they had me committed to, to a, uh, a psychiatric hospital. Um, now, Ed, unfortunately, let me, let me yes. For a second. So who is it exactly that had you committed? And, and of course, obviously, this was against your will. So how well, did that background? Yes. Happen? So what, what happened was she told them inside this document, inside this sworn document, that I was currently uh, uh, suicidal, which was... A, a complete fabrication. Right. And unfortunately, they law enforcement, well, they call an ambulance. I mean, I wasn't fighting anybody, of course. I was perfectly fine. Right. And I understood that if I were to do anything that would be violent in any nature, it would, or in any, any way, shape, or form, it would just make me look even worse. So I walked right. to the ambulance, got in it, and went there and, and assumed. Um, that when I went into their intake, that I would be talking to uh, a crisis worker and that they would understand that I'm perfectly fine. Well, unfortunately, that's not what took place. Uh, she had, through this document, preloaded the whole thing um, with not only um, the hospital, not only with law enforcement and the courts, but also with my family and my children um, and her family. Uh, she was very quick within moments of me going there to send all of this documentation by email to everybody she, she possibly could. Um, so there's a lot more to that story, but that's essentially what happened. From that point, um, I quickly realized once I was in there that I was uh, there to pay the bills. Uh, the hospital was going to make sure that they diagnosed me. Um, with something that really couldn't be argued with, and that was bipolar. Even though none of the diagnosis was from me, she never, the, the physician who was a female, never spoke to me about anything. She came in, introduced herself the first full day, and said, You're bipolar. And I, of course, disagreed, but. I love the snap judgment on yes. your bipolar. Uh, Kathleen, yes. is, is this, is a, it, this is not normal, I'm assuming. Well, uh, no, it's it not normal. normal. It, it's not normal. Um, the, the part about how you were hospitalized based on what somebody else reported to healthcare yes. professionals is surprising. So I don't know all the details about how they arrived at that, but usually they, um, you, if you, um, someone is concerned about your well-being, you would be taken to an ER and have a full evaluation and they would listen to you <laughs> and what no, you had to no say and kind of make me. their best clinical judgment from there. Yeah. Yes. So the crisis worker um, that I saw in the intake uh, of this hospital um, interviewed me, of course, off of a check sheet and had all the information already from what my wife had said about me and the affidavit she had um, tendered to the county. I will add that when she tried to get that order of protection, the judge said that there was no abuse and that the best he would do, he did not give her an order of protection. The best he would do is set a court date. And that court date was for two weeks from that day. And we did go to that court date after I got out of the hospital. I mean, she lost. She never had an order of protection. Uh, my family uh, was led to believe that she did. And uh, so, Ed, uh, let me ask you this. Yeah. So, there was actually a judge, obviously, that had to order this done. Yes. Okay. And or, it was based on, the yes. It was based on a, an affidavit your ex filed at the time, and. Correct. But there was no verification. Did they use this diary of yours as verification of, of her thoughts, or, or just randomly she just decided to have have you committed, so to speak? Well, I, I can quote the psychiatrist in a hospital. When I brought this up to her the very first time I met her, um, I said, "You know, these things never happened," and she said exactly this to me your ex-wife put this into uh, an affidavit. And so I have to believe her, not you. Oh boy. And that was that. And that was that. Um, 
after a few sessions with her, well, not sessions, each day we would have five minutes with her. Uh, each patient that was there would have about five minutes with her. Um, she kept getting me mixed up with other patients. Um, but nonetheless. She's probably, um, Ed, she's probably bipolar. Yeah, probably. <laughs> so, at least a t- attention deficit, maybe. Um, but so midweek, uh, I said to her, after a couple of days there, I said, doctor, I have a question for you. And, and as I was very cooperative, because I knew um, that I had to be cooperative, you can't be in those situations, not cooperative. It just makes you look as though um, there's something wrong with you if you're not. So anyway, I asked her this question. I said, my understanding after having a son who's bipolar, uh, he's 27 now, and seeing that all of his life, I said, my understanding is that bipolar just doesn't sneak up on you when you're 27 years, or excuse me, when you're 57 years old. Uh, it presents itself much earlier in life. And I, and I told her, I went through all of my career as a law enforcement officer and, you know, being vetted as law enforcement. You, you, if you were bipolar, you know, in your 20s, they would probably realize that or somewhere along the way it would come up. And she looked at me, right. turned away and said nothing. The next day, she said, well, upon further examination of your, of your history, she goes, um, which was my history was what my ex had told her. Uh, I believe that you have uh, uh, schizoaffective disorder. And I said, oh, along with bipolar? And she said, yes, you, you also have schizoaffective disorder. And I said, well, what's that based upon? Okay, yeah, Kathleen, <laughs> and she, what, 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 Kathleen what the hell is that? What is schizoaffective disorder? Yeah, yeah, tell us well, what actually, it is. To me, I would never diagnose both of those things together anyway, because schizoaffective disorder is having aspects of psychosis as well as aspects of mood, which would encompass that mania and or depression. So it's kind of either one or the other. You wouldn't get both diagnoses. At least I wouldn't do that. Okay. And for the listeners out there, I want you, I want you to I'm going to recap this again. What we're talking about here is uh, uh, Ed having had some mystical experiences. He recorded it from an observational point of view. This this diary that he had in him was weaponized by an ex, and he has found himself in so many. He's found himself in this, um, you know, mental institution with whatever you want to call it, and for psychological evaluation. And I'm going to hear, I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to do a personal testimony. This is the most sane, normal person that I've ever ran into in my life. And I cannot imagine the kind of situation. But, you know, when I said modern, modern day witch burning, this seems to me that this is all about a lack of knowledge by the doctor that was there and the judge who was part of it, a complete lack of knowledge of anything mystical or metaphysical. Um, And there was no advocate to step in and say, hey, dipshit, this is normal if you're actually in the psychic uh, medium work or whatever, or just observing mystical stuff. Nobody was able to step in that had any kind of leverage that could have minimized this and so forth. So um, I, I, I find it extremely disturbing for those out there that we speak to here on this podcast every week um, that, that are saying, hey, I don't really want to come out of the closet because this could happen to me. So I guess I'm going to I'm going to try to ask questions of, of you all. Um, what could you have done differently? What would you do differently in the future to avoid this? And, and for both of you, your opinions on when should you come out, how you should come out. I have opinions because I certainly counsel people on that every day. It seems like a very common thing, but uh, Kathleen, I'm going to throw it to you first on that. And then we're going to go to Ed, the man with the plan here. Yeah. There's several factors involved here. One of the things that I think about when I first hear just the whole experience is there's a classic study in psychology. It's uh, from the 1970s, Rosenhan, where this group, a small group, I think it was like eight to 10 people, they went into a mental hospital and checked themselves in intentionally as part of this research study. And they said like really minimal things, like I hear a voice, you know, just very vague kinds of things. And they wanted to see what happened because after they got admitted, 
they acted completely normal like themselves, just they were themselves. And they got um, labeled uh, based on like, I think one of them was writing in a book or whatever, walking around and it would get, um, there was a bias toward, um, you know, considering just their normal, typical behavior to be mental illness. And so that study right. was groundbreaking because it showed that there is a bias in the mental health field toward that. And there's a stigma uh, toward mental illness. So that's one factor I think about right off the bat that you lived that experiment that's because exactly you were fine. Happened. You were, yes. of, you know, of sound mind there, but they were mm -hmm. telling you that, you know, you had all these diagnoses and issues. Yes. That's right. one factor. Tommy, I was going to say, Tommy, you do, you do this clinical work too. Have you run into this kind of thing? Yeah, I was going to say, I spent uh, a period of time working in a state luck facility and I can identify with what you went through and I'm going to be probably less nice than you, Terry. I'm going to say that clinician needs to go back to school and learn how to be a clinician before you diagnose someone. How about have a real conversation with them instead of, you know, reading someone else's affidavit. That should be a place to begin, but not the place to end. Isn't this, let me throw this out and before I go to Ed, but for the other two clinicians here, isn't this malpractice in some form? I mean, when we know we've got a perfectly normal person and they've been labeled with this. And I mean, you know, there's privileges that he, uh, you know, lost uh, in, in the process with this because of the label. What I would say, I don't know enough of those details, like what maybe they had seen or not seen, but I would, I would pretty safely say that it was bias and it might be the bias in the system itself, because if somebody is you know, saying you know, and, and filling out an affidavit and saying that all these things happen, then at some level, the system with people within the system are trained, I guess, to take that seriously. So that's a problem because the other angle to this that, that's an issue is that this was clearly an attack. So after you've had this awakening, you know, this, this you know, um, all these experiences, then uh, for various reasons, uh, the motives maybe were an attack. So uh, it, it becomes very, I think it is a cautionary tale to, to and to try to, to kind of pick this apart and, and, and try to help others understand what to do if they're in a similar situation, if their family or friends or someone turns against them, what yeah. do you do? Tom, you have anything on that? Yeah. I mean, it's just one of those things. I mean, I think back to the first time you and I shared what we did and how long had we known each other before we took that risk, despite the relationship we had for decades. Yeah, exactly. You know, so it's very hard when you don't have those relationships with people, that depth of time and, you know, interaction, how do you voice what you're experiencing without labeling yourself in a lot of ways? Sure. Of course, me, I don't give a rat's ass. So, but I never have asked Ed, he can tell you. And so, but Ed, Ed uh, you know, here's the thing. Okay. Anything you would do differently? I mean, obviously you didn't get to talk about any of these mystical experiences. It doesn't sound like with this clinician, right? You didn't get to talk. Oh no, there was, she never asked me anything. She just each day when I would see her for five minutes, um, she would announce something else out of this affidavit that I had supposedly done, uh, in the past. And that was to shore up and prove that I was in fact bipolar and had schizoaffective disorder. Um, most of what was in the affidavit was not true. It may right. have had a sliver effect, but yet was tweaked right. uh, and manipulated. Manipulated is the right word here. Uh, there was a great deal of manipulation uh, in, in all of this. Um, so not once did she ask me anything about me or how I felt about something. She was there to tell me what the problem was. And that it was obvious there in a 70 bed unit that I was there to pay the bill because I was insured. And there had to be something wrong with me because if not, she had to let me go. Um, right. And I can, I can share with you one other thing that I found a little bit disturbing. It was manipulation inside the hospital. Briefly, uh, there were two sides to this unit. There's the acute side and the general side. The acute side, of course, is where the worst of the worst cases are. Um, lots of noise, lots of things going on that are disturbing, especially when you're trying to sleep. 
On the other side is the general side. And that's where people who come in, you know, they just had a momentary thing. They just need a few days or whatever. Um, maybe they're bipolar or something else. Well, from the intake on day one, they took me to the acute side because I refused to sign myself in. I refused to sign myself in. And as I'm sure you're well aware, if you don't sign yourself in, then they have to take you to court in order to get paid. They have to have you committed. And I would not sign myself in. So they kept me on that acute side for two days. Um, and every couple of hours, somebody new would come in and, and, and put on the sales pitch of, you know, if, if you just sign in, then you can get out of here in five days. Uh, if we have to take you to court, of course, it could take, well, we don't know how long it could take. It could take weeks. Um, that, and I'm quoting that. It could take weeks. It's what they told me. Um, if you sign in, you can go immediately over to the general side where you can, you know, have uh, sessions with, you know, uh, general sessions with uh, and meetings with everybody else. And you've got a, a TV over there with, uh, you know, a break room and everything, you know, couches. And, and uh, uh, it's a lot more amenable, which, of course, it was. Finally, by, by the end of the second day, I'm like, fuck this. I'm, I'm done. I'm sorry. Excuse my French. Um, I, I'll sign in. Just get me over there. I want to get out of this place. So as soon as I signed in, everything was great. They moved me right over to general. And that to me is a manipulation, keeping you for no reason, because I wasn't violent. I had, had nothing, but I was nothing but nice while I was there in the face of all this. And to keep me on the acute side for no reason other than to leverage me into signing in so they could get paid easier uh, is, I think, a travesty. And thinking back on it, that really made me angry. Um, at the time, I was just sick and tired of being over there with the worst of the worst cases. And I yeah, don't mean that in a bad way. Right. Well, they got problems. They got real problems. You're in there. Serious. They got pissed yeah. off at you. They were violent. Um, you know, nobody bothered me, but it's a matter of what's going on around you. You know, people violent, hitting things, throwing things, you know, walking up and down a hall, you know, screaming, cursing. Um, and, and so, yeah, that, that really didn't set well with me, that, that that kind of manipulation takes place. They could have just put me on the general side. There's no reason not to in right. my opinion, other than what my ex-wife had said about me. Um, right. So anyway, um, I'll turn it back over to you. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, let me, let me go back and, okay. So we're talking around some circles here. So, um, and it, clearly this, this is something that would, should piss everybody off. Um, if you have a child or you have a, a, maybe a, a family member who's getting the opportunity to see mystical things, uh, and then this kind of a situation could happen. I mean, this is a, the crossover between the criminal justice system and the psychology world. This is the area where they they cross paths on a routine basis. And of course, uh, all three of us, four of us for that matter, are, are routinely involved in that in, in a career path. And so you see this uh, quite often, but I'm surprised that, and the deputies probably just didn't have any choice. They were just given a court order and they had to go carry it out. And, but in, yes. in many states, we have the involuntary, um, you know, situation where we can take them in for some states 72 hours some 24 hours just kind of depends state to state and but even the police officers do a much better evaluation of whether they're going to take somebody take their freedom and put them in a facility they don't want to be at in the first place uh, so this is travesty is the least word I would use, you know, it make you want to kick somebody's ass, to be honest, uh, because here you are legitimately having experiences. And, um, and then it turns into this giant cluster, which is, you know, unacceptable in every way. So uh, let's kind of get can we get to some of those experiences? So people actually know what we're talking about here uh, in that uh, this this diary was stolen, and then they weaponized it so uh, what were you seeing that was so bad because i'm sure the three of us are going to go mm, that sounds pretty normal to me <laughs> uh i i in well in categories uh 
I learned how to uh, access my Akashic records sure. and I was exploring past lives, um, quite a few of them. Um, I had visited with a shaman um, mm-hmm. here in my hometown and talked about past lives and, and what I'm here to do in this, this life. And um, I went down to Ecuador for a week with the group, a uh, group of other life coaches, actually, mm-hmm. and a small group. And we, uh, we used uh, uh, ayahuasca while we were there. And um, I have seen, um, I've been face to face with um, apparitions in, in body form and in human form. Um, I've had uh, uh, clear audio experiences and uh, a lot of clear sentience, and I, I think that's probably the probably the biggest one is my clear sentience, um, um, especially through my Kundalini. I had a, and here's something I think will shed light on some of this. I had a friend of mine who is or or was working as um, an intuitive. Um, who had done a couple of readings for me, and she was exceptionally intuitive. Out of the blue, she said to me that my ex had um, a, a, and this was not during a session, she just said this, my ex had um, a, an entity that was, or, or a spirit, a negative spirit um, that was with her and that had traveled around her family. Um, and this is what she was telling me and that, uh, you know, just so I was aware of it basically. Um, well, and I wrote that in my, in my book. And of course, when she saw that, she didn't say anything to me about it, even though I was treating her just fine. Um, she turned this into a fear-based, uh, thing. And, and, you know, once she said that to everybody else, then it, it, uh, along with a healthy dose of fear um, and manipulation of the facts, um, it turned into um, something more. What we've been talking about, yeah, right. that exactly. that was the really, real really fire starter. I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was. Well, folks out there, listeners, listen. Talking to a shaman, I mean, that's part of your rights, you know, and First Amendment and religious rights to talk to a shaman. Shamans are considered like same as priests and preachers and so on and so forth. You have every right to talk to any kind of clergy you want to, whether people agree with it or they don't agree with it, or they're all in or they're all not. It doesn't matter. In America, you're allowed to do that. So that's that's one thing. Taking a trip with um, life coaches, uh, going to Ecuador or Peru or any of those places there, it's so common. I mean, there's regular tours that go there and legitimate organizations that do research that go. And the ayahuasca is a mix of the shamans uh, in that area um, that you ingest um, and it helps you uh, potentially open up your mind to different um, assets facets of uh, mysticism and so on and so forth. I mean, it's a short-term thing. Um, Some people get sick even doing it and they don't do it anymore. And then, you know, and I work in this field too. So when they say there was an entity, I get that quite a bit. And it's running around with uh, family members. Well, in the Bible, they call that a curse. Okay, because it goes from family member to family member. So each one of these is easily shot down in the sense that they're completely legitimate expressions of of a religious belief, or at least a curiosity and an exploration of other potential religious beliefs that are out there. And that there's nothing unusual about any of that. I don't see anything, but it's just from ignorance, plain old ordinary ignorance that caused, uh, you know, this entire thing, in my opinion, and and, and of course, vindictiveness, you know, because I don't think she was actually really upset about this just a tool a method of the madness to to jam it in you at the time and i'm not going to get off on the whole divorce thing that's really kind of not what we're, we're just really kind of talking about if you come across these things when do you come out when do you not come out and uh how do you do it so um kathleen you got any got any insights for us on any of this yeah well i, I do think that you have to be careful 
because um, these kinds of things can happen. And this is an extreme example, mm -hmm. but I, I do think in the mental health field, there even there's a lack of training and understanding in anything having to do with the unseen. Okay, that's, and, and for some who, and then when you add the bias in and then we add the attacks in as well, uh, where there's just a pressure for people to do something uh, uh, that someone might be considered a dangerous self to others um, by someone else's test testimony or something, uh, right. then that becomes a problem. And, um, and also I think that when you have these, well, to go back to the training, I don't think there's really, we're told in the mental health field or trained to, to kind of acknowledge someone's spirituality or religious beliefs. But I think that when somebody has some sort of awakening experience or some kind of intense experiences or they're seeking, they're, they're, they might have, um, like you were talking about uh, the clear audience or some kind of experience, you know, in the unseen. Uh, people, a lot of mental health professionals and certainly those in training, they, they don't know how to handle that. They might just kind of automatically reflexively um, check the box thinking um, that that's a hallucination, uh, an auditory hallucination or um, a visual hallucination, et cetera. That, that's part of their training. You know, they're just kind of told because remember the field of, of mental health is very much worldly. You know, it, it acknowledges things that you can see and touch, but not the unseen. Absolutely. Tommy, you got, you know, chime in on that. Yeah. I mean, that is the current state of affairs. If you go back in earlier years, they were more open to being receptive to these concepts. But then when you have regulations and such, you know, and control, it's changed the game. Um, you know, like the work I've done with the energy psychology stuff, you know, at first it was discounted. Now they're starting to say, oh, maybe there's some value to this. But the next step now is they're trying to regulate all of this. Yep. Take away from people that don't have certain degrees. Absolutely. And energy workers from state to state now are, you know, Reiki people and so forth are really under threat of not being able to do it. Um, you know, even hypnosis in some states is highly regulated. I know in uh, Florida, uh, you have to have a PhD or an MD in order to do it. Uh, and, and that's insane. They've been, we've been doing hypnosis in the world for eons, thousands and thousands of years uh, in order to help people. So if Ed was uh, accessing the Akashic Records, and just so people know, the Akashic Records for the listeners is just uh, the memories of the soul in the Akash. It's a Sanskrit term uh, is all it really amounts to. Uh, other people would equate that with the book of life or you're written in the book of life uh, from a Christian point of view. And you go back through your many different lives that you've had. Now, if you're not a believer in reincarnation, it doesn't make much sense to you, but just bide your time. 85% of the world is in agreement with reincarnation. Only in America do we get a raised eyebrow uh, when we talk about that. So being able to access through meditation, which is biblical in and of itself, and it's also in schools now, and it's in therapies, how to meditate yourself into an understanding of life. Um, this None of this is scary. None of this is wrong. And it is just disgusting that we even have to have that. But I, I'm just going to say this, get, get to the point. I, I tell people when they ask me, uh, do I come out? And I say, the way you come out is tiny little drips and drabs, little bit at a time where the people around you, friends, family that are you know, there, not only do you come out, but you don't want to come out until you fully understand it yourself. If you understand it yourself and you've got reference books, manuals, training, whatever the case may be, then you have something to back you up on when you say a little something and say, here, I was reading this book and I had a similar experience to what this author and this author and this author all said, and they call it this. Oh, okay. You know, now whether they believe it or not, that's, but I tell them just in drips and drabs. And over time, your circle, your inner circle gets it. And then the greater circle starts to get it. And then you get your feet under you in the sense that you really know how to say it in the right way. Uh, there's always in, in the police work, we do a thing called verbal judo. And uh, verbal judo is a way to talk to somebody to keep them from, you know, 
getting in a fight with you for all practical purposes or anybody else for that matter. A psychologist are oftentimes trained to do the same thing. So um, that's the way I kind of approach releasing any metaphysical experiences and, or find a group, find a group that's around that, you know, is very open for that. And uh, they're not nuts in any way, shape or form. In fact, some of the people I have are medical professionals. I won't tell you what kind of medical professionals, but that, that are around regularly and they're religious professionals as well as uh, other kinds of professionals. So people who have a brain know intuitively that there's more out there than what we're being told. And to experience that is, is not wrong. In fact, it's what you should do to expand yourself and your consciousness. So uh, Ed, I don't know what, how that settles with you. Oh, it, it, right on point, right on point. Um, and, and I should add too, that, that I'm a Reiki practitioner, a uh, Reiki master, and that I tend to channel. Mm -hmm. Um, during Reiki sessions and also sometimes uh, when I'm just out and about, I channel people's pain just out of the blue and uh, without going deeply into that, uh, that's, that's what I've noticed lately. Um, so I'm very open. I'm very connected and I don't say no to anything. I take in all information uh, and I consider it. Uh, some things are more important than others. Some things I believe more, more than others. But I never say something is wrong just because someone else has experienced it. And I, and I, the westernized psychiatry does not see it that way. Um, anything in, in, in my opinion and in my experience, uh, anything that, that happens in this realm is seen and directed toward mental illness. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Kathleen, you want to jump in on that one? Yeah. And, and, I, I absolutely agree. And based on also what you are while we're talking about that, I think you do have to be mindful of your audience when, I mean, that's a reality. When you are talking about any of your experiences, you, you really have to be careful. And uh, because some, either some people might be afraid, even friends or family, they might be afraid or taken aback and not know what to think. Maybe at best they would be afraid and, and others might outright attack because, you know, for whatever reason, maybe they're judgmental or they're, um, they're reactive in some way. And, and you do potentially open yourself up to be a target. And just by virtue, when you think about the whole spiritual realm, I mean, if you are um, sort of I don't know, I call it activated, you know, really activated and, and, and gaining a lot um, of understanding and knowledge that might open you up to be a target. That's just the reality. And um, unfortunately, you, you were violated and your, you know, the notes you took were actually taken from you and used against you. I mean, that is an extreme case, but right. even that goes to show that you even have to, um, I, I don't recommend, you know, being in fear about it, just being smart about it and knowing who you're talking to, like you're saying, in, in, in little steps and being aware that other people are not, they're going to have a different worldview. You know, I, I got to go to the judge too, because they spent no time looking at this. They just took this affidavit and just process it, stamp, 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 sign, done, just like that. You know, it is because, you know, from my experience, nut jobs don't keep a real thorough diary on observational notes. They just don't do that. And uh, this is somebody who's trying to, to make note of experiences uh, for own, their own reference. And like you said, that's the violated part. It was stolen, taken. And that is where the judge should have said, wait a minute, this is somebody's private diary. And we have no proof that any of this is anywhere close to violent or, or somehow uh, uh, detrimental to the family or anything else like that. It's observational notes. And I'm not going to, um, you know, order anything in this case, because there's nothing there. Because the worst part about it is, where's the due process? There was nobody, no lawyer, nobody to intervene and say, whoa, judge, hold on, this is perfectly normal. Let's get an expert on the phone. And they will tell you that, you know, that kind of thing that didn't happen. And so, folks, you know, when I said this was, a modern day witch burning, you know, I, I, that's what I think it is. In the old days, they would have just 
Ed would be dead right now because they would have had him strapped up, either hung or or crushed with stones or or burned at the stake because that's how we used to do it. And God, aren't we past that by this time? And uh, apparently not when it gets into the criminal justice system and the the untrained, uh, unaware psychologists that work in cahoots with them. And it's really something that we all need to be quite aware of and mm-hmm. and be cautious of and listen if you get, you make a first step into your family and they go ah we don't believe any of that crap okay good then don't say it again just keep it to yourself and deal with it in other circles that probably do understand it a little bit wiser a little more open-minded and that's that's where you can express some of these things and you're going to find once you do this there is a number of people i mean i, I go go all the way back to the bible because you know it's some of what i teach is what would you have done if this had been Ezekiel or Micah, one of the prophets who was hearing stuff from God and they, they, they put it in a, they wrote it down and people, you know, obviously got it. Uh, did they need to go into a psych ward? He would have been diagnosed as having a psychotic disorder by someone with a worldly view. Absolutely. That is definitely where we're at. And another thought I have about it is that, so if, if you are, kind of exploring your your spirituality and 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 learning and and getting i would say activated that is in and of itself it could be um ungrounding or you know you, you might have maybe destabilizing and you know mm-hmm. it, it, it is uh, there is potentially a problem you know in, in getting grounded and in getting your bearings so that's a concern because you, you need to find the appropriate supports to help you through this, you know, whatever that might be, mind, body, spirit, and be able to, right. and, and you might, you know, many out there, your family, friends may not get it. And, and um, just, and then once you're in the mental health, if you're in a mental health setting, like a hospital, that's when you're going to get viewed through the lens of mental illness. That's going to right. happen. There's a bias. You bet you're right. And you know, all four of us are all through all four of us are life coaches, mm-hmm. all of us, you know, and I would, I would throw this around the circle here. I'll start with Tom then we'll go to Ed and then we'll come back to Kathleen. But if you had somebody coming into you for a life coaching session or two or three, um, how would you tell them to approach this, Tom? I would have them explore it as long as they're not hurting themselves or others. Go for it. You know, let's let's get them the resources. Let's track down what they're saying and believing. See if we can coach them along into the direction they need to go. And again, as long as there's no harm there, what's the problem with exploring? Exactly. Ed? Simple. <laughs> exactly. I agree with that completely. Um, just to be open to things around us that we may not be able to see and experiences that we may have that we can't necessarily explain. Um I think having a mentor through all of this, if a person can find a mentor, I happen to have had one during uh, this time of my life. It was, uh, I call her the angel that dropped into my life just before I knew I needed one. And uh, she was an intuitive for about, and working in, in that field for about 10 years. Um, and uh, uh, she really, she really backed me up. But I think just to add to what Tom said was to maybe to have a mentor or at least search for one. Um, if nothing more than just maybe an online group or something uh, where you thoughts? can safely share. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I'm done. Yeah, yeah. I, I would help absolutely and help them to explore this. I mean, what a, a tremendous gift that is, you know, and, and to be able to harness that gift, you know, and, and use it, you know, and really to more fully align mind, body, spirit, because, you know, things can happen fast. So sometimes you got to catch up and kind of recalibrate and then have a plan moving forward. You know, how are you going to use this to uh, serve others or use this in your life uh, for good? That's what I teach, uh, especially when the little ones come around, but I teach, I tell their parents, you know, when they're starting to have these mystical experiences, one, they have to learn to use this for themselves. That's, that's number one and be safe about it and not be, um, scared. And then two, they have to learn to use it for their family. What's, what good can I do with this skill, this gift? Um, uh, and it's a God gift is what it is. 
Uh, and then ultimately for mankind, how do I use this gift to improve the world? And then I try to give them textbooks um, or rather resources that they can go to and feel like they're part of a group. They're not the first one in the world that's ever went through this. They don't have to reinvent the wheel. There is an entire industry um, dedicated to the metaphysical. And you can start with the Bible if you knew how to read it. But, uh, you know, you know, there is uh, more metaphysical interpretations about Stephen Harefield, PhD, he did a great uh, metaphysical interpretation of the Bible, what it really means, and it makes a whole lot more sense. You know, then I go to uh, another one, which is a great book is The Journey of Souls by Dr. Michael Newton, PhD, great, great book. And then if they're seeing things, I go to the veil. Um, Blake Healy, he's a minister, um, been able to see angels and demons since he was three. And it's a great book, uh, got wife and kids and stuff. Last I knew he was in Georgia. And so those are some things that I would recommend to people to look at first and go, okay, I'm not alone. Now, how can I reach out? Like Ed said, try to find a mentor or try to find a group uh, that will help you go through these experiences. Uh, but if we can get to the people early, now we all are, you know, a little long in the tooth for being considered kids at this. Um, and so we have more life skills, but can you imagine being a three-year-old, five-year-old and going through this at, and scared to even tell your mom and dad, you know, that you're having these experiences for fear they're going to throw you in the clink somewhere. That'd be crazy. Tom, you have thoughts? Yeah. I mean, the little kids are going to be worried about just upsetting mom or dad and getting, you know, punished period, you know, yeah. enough to be the big send you away kind of thing, but just, you know, the timeouts at the corner because, I saw something, you know, the imaginary friend, those kind of things, you know, a lot of kids bring to the game. Yeah, you bet. And we're going to start to wrap it up here. So any final thoughts? Um, yes. I, I, in hindsight, I wish I had locked my uh, journal up in a safe. Uh, I did not. I didn't realize she was going to be rifling through my desk, but nonetheless, um, just uh, protect yourself. Um, mm -hmm. Think ahead uh, because, you know, people in your family, if they get wind of this, will start snooping. And you right. just assume that they will at least. And, mm -hmm. and either have it with you or, or if you do keep it or don't write it down. Uh, I you know, there are some times I wish I hadn't written anything down. But uh, right. yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> making record that, that that's always a challenge. Yes. that's what everybody looks for is the record yes and Kathleen, so, um, oh sorry go ahead Ed. Anything no else? no that's all i was going to say was just uh just watch your back yeah sure work smart as they say um don't give them anything don't load the don't load the uh gun with bullets for somebody else yeah make them find them one at a time if if at all <laughs> um kathleen what, what what are we supposed to say to a psychologist or psychiatrist if we run into them face to face kind of like uh you know tom and i are divers so we run into the great white shark uh we'll tell you how to act so you tell us how to act if this would happen to us <laughs> well it's kind of tricky because there's so many individual differences that uh, i think it would have it would be a situational case by case you know mm -hmm. situation i think using your discernment skills is really key or, or learning to develop them and also having good boundaries, just learning to read other people and kind of work off the assumption that they're going to be following the medical model where they are trained to have that bias. I mean, it's part of their training, you know, to look for that. That's the lens they view things, you know, and, right. and we we're trained or taught to, to understand the difference, but, but I guess just appreciate that the, the uh, spirituality is an, a lot of the things that that you might be experiencing are not in their textbooks. They're not trained or taught about that. So just kind of assume that they're not going to understand and uh, maybe go from there. Hopefully some will and be able to be a little more open minded about it. But um, that would be my general advice and to have learn to discern and to um, have good boundaries around who you tell what to anything you just absolutely would say you don't tell your psychiatrist or psychologist in this well, situation like ed would have had i think 
Or did he play it right? Did he play it right the way he did it? I I don't think he did anything wrong, you know, as far as, yeah, I mean, there may have, not knowing all the details, there may have been signs or red flags earlier on that maybe, Ed, you didn't catch as far as how this could be used as a weapon against you, okay? But in the moment, in the situation, you know, it does remind me of that Rosenhan study where, okay, here you are in the in the psych hospital and they're, you know, you're going to be viewed through a particular lens. But I think that here here's a general, I guess a general piece of advice is sometimes people who, who are seeking, who are, you know, really learning a lot or getting activated, they might be, you know, wildly enthusiastic about that right and and just want to scream it (laughs) off the rooftops that is not a wise thing to do okay and maybe uh framing it within the context of hey um, a preface of i am uh, learning a lot about my spirituality and what i'm doing and and so that that kind of hones in on the training that a lot of people get like in terms of the mental health field to to recognize that there are um you know, religious and spiritual differences and to not, you know, over pathologize that. But if you kind of frame it as that, not, I guess, in other words, within the context of you and your beliefs, not your experiences, because they're going to be, that's going to trigger them. If you just talk about your experiences of seeing and hearing all these things, they're going to just, it's going to trigger them to think it's a hallucination or something like that. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, since I get called to do exorcisms, you know, I have to immediately, and oftentimes these people have not been evaluated by an MD for make sure they have sound mind and so forth, sound body, uh, and, or a psychologist or psychiatrist. They haven't been evaluated and trying to actually find one that would do a legitimate evaluation. In my experience, has been very, very challenging for those folks. Um, and of course, if you do go, they're all scared to go because exactly what you said, they are going to be labeled with something if you show up at somebody's uh, doorstep and that's what they do so i end up in a situation where i have to do a wham bam quick evaluation very often as to whether this person is legitimate in their sense of uh, is an exorcism needed Uh, you know and i had one recently and and uh no i don't really believe that an exorcism was needed but I do believe uh, perspective was needed and some counseling was needed and ways to address emotional issues, PTSD that had not been addressed. Uh, and, and so this person was looking to um, blame another or another source for issues that were their own uh, and hadn't been dealt with. But I've also had them where they created an entire different personality Uh, in the sense that they start talking differently, acting differently, the Sybil effect, you know, that we talk about. And so I immediately slide them off to a psychologist, psychiatrist, both uh, for proper chemical treatment as well as uh, therapy. Uh, And, you know, but in this situation, in order to do that, you have to know what's normal in the metaphysical field Mm -hmm. in order to say "Mm, that's normal or it's not normal. And this is where it, uh, institutions of learning, universities, where people are getting their PhDs and master's degrees and counseling and psychology and whatnot, there needs to be a course uh, or two in this kind of stuff with people who actually know what they're talking about. And so they can go back into shamanism and, you know, metaphysics and, and so forth in a way that's educational, totally clears out the ignorance so that, and there is actually, I had a, my professor that taught me uh, hypnosis. There is a, a formula to figure out whether somebody's schizophrenic or if they are actually having events. Clearly that wasn't exercised uh, in this case. And uh, I will say again, and as we close this thing out, you know, uh, it is the most normal person I've ever come across. And, you know, sophisticated, smart, he's got all crossed all the T's dotted all the I's and, and, you know, continues to do that. And so it's a cautionary note for everybody. Not everybody in your circle is, is your best friend. And you really do, as everybody here, I think is in sync. Um, be careful uh, when you start to let this stuff out. And I don't think you'll have much problem if you slowly let it out and back it up with a lot of time and textbooks and so forth, mentors to help you through this process. 
I, I'd like to add on that note that I think one piece of advice I would have is also to, as you're maybe learning to adjust and grow from these experiences, is to seek out support from non-traditional sources. Okay. Right. Until the until the system changes, which is not going to happen overnight, you know, find maybe uh, get uh, recommendations for someone who would be understanding. Maybe a coach. You know, coaches don't have to rely on diagnoses at all. You know, they don't have to to use insurance, things like that. Uh, so you can bypass all of that and and you know get help, get support to help you work through this in another way. Right. And I know, Kathleen, you're available for that if people want to get a hold of you. And is there a particular uh, website or email that you want to put out there yes. so people have these problems? I, yeah, I have a brand new website that's uh, getting launched, and it's uh, www.drkathleentalent.com. Okay. And I do coaching as well as other therapy, but my coaching is very separate. And uh, I am very committed to helping people on these issues. I, and I actually think that a lot of people who are in the helping professions or first responders, people who are out there on the front line, they can easily be targets for this. They tend to be, a lot of them anyway, really empathic and, and uh, you know, kind of open uh, to, or increasingly open to this. And mm -hmm. they need a lot of support sometimes because it's easy to get burnt out, but it's also easy to become a target and you know, you need to get support in working through all these things. Exactly. Okay, very good. Well, hey, Ed, thanks for telling your story. I mean, you're I, welcome to. Extremely helpful for people to listen to this. Kathleen, thanks for your input from a psychologist's point of view. That's extremely helpful. And uh, Tommy, as always, you know. Yeah, I appreciate you both coming on, and I think it's awesome. It's it's getting there. I mean, the people I've talked to in recent years, once you crack that door open to the possibility, it's amazing how many people are also keeping this quiet and they're looking for someone that they can share this with. Um, if you don't mind it, just to kind of wrap it up for the audience, how did that end for you, that time that you had to spend at the facility and you know where you're at today? How did that transition finish up? Uh, it was a total of eight days um, because they had given me a medication, uh, which I felt no effects from that they had to have blood work five days after they gave it to me. So it turned into eight days, adding on the other days where I would not sign in. So a total of eight days, finally on the eighth day, when I met in the morning with the psychiatrist, she just looked at me and she said, well, I don't have any other reason to keep you. And she mm -hmm. said, so you're going home today. Um, if, if I can have just a moment to add sure. uh, the way I got through, this, when I realized that first evening that I was there, when I realized that they were going to keep me, I said, okay, first of all, I, I need to have a plan. And that plan was to accept where I was in the moment and accept what was happening to me, even though I disagreed with it vehemently. Um, and even though I wanted to scream at the top of my lungs, I just simply accepted it. Then from that point, I told myself I have to be kind and cooperative throughout this process because that's the key to leaving. Anything else that's not kind and cooperative and happy um, will feed into their narrative. Third, and this is the part that, that really, I think made a difference for me is I said, okay, I'm here, I don't like it, but what I'm going to do is look for every possible lesson in this experience that I can find. And so every part of every day, I looked for the lessons, whether it came from physicians, staff, other people uh, that were also in there. I just looked for the lessons. And um, that plan gave me or helped me ground, basically, um, and, and as well as grounding physically throughout uh, the week. Um, I gave myself every morning uh, time to cry into a towel where no one could hear me because I knew if they heard me crying. So I would take a minute and just let all my emotion out into that towel um, and then go about my day. And, and I, I think having a plan like that is, is what really got me through those eight days. 
Fantastic. Yeah, wiser words couldn't have been spoken. There you got it, folks. Have a plan. If you get stuck in this situation, um, don't fall into screaming and crying and just try to be cooperative and get the hell out or you're free person again, which is incredible that this even happened in the first place. But I, I want to add also on that note, sometimes, and this is where discernment comes in, sometimes less is more and it's better to just say nothing. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Same thing in law enforcement. Sometimes it's best to say nothing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we all have our own jobs and we all have our, our lenses that we see through, through our distortion of reality, if you will. And uh, so we had a, this a true experience that Ed had. And for all the listeners out there, you know, I want to thank you all for listening. Um, take these, all these folks here would be great mentors for you. Every one of them will have some uh, contact information up on the website for everybody. And uh, for everybody else, don't stop your mystical experiences. Just moderate who you let know about it in a very safe way and from all of us here at the metaphysical mysteries we appreciate your time and we will talk to you next time with another exciting guest see you later bye-bye